Hi, and welcome to the Scottish Greens podcast. I'm Lorna Slater, one of the party co-leaders. And I'm Cleo Goodman. I'm the co-founder of Basic Income Conversation and the director of Citizens Basic Income Network Scotland. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Cleo. I'm very excited to talk to you about universal basic income today because it seems like UBI has been something that the Greens have had on our in our manifestos and on our policy reference document for a very, very long time. And over the last three or four years, it was starting to sneak into the mainstream. But suddenly, with the COVID-19 crisis, it's gone full on mainstream and everybody's talking about it. Yeah, definitely. Well, and I, uh, as someone that's only known about basic income for a couple of years, I owe the Greens a lot. Like the legacy there is is great. But um, absolutely, even over the couple of years that I've been talking about it, this last few weeks has been an explosion of interest that we've almost been uh, having to jog at to, to, to keep up with, which is really exciting. So it's amazing that it's, it's proper permeating the, the mainstream consciousness. It's great when radical ideas come to the come into the attention of the kind of mainstream media and attention because that I mean that's really what the greens to my mind are about is taking these radical ideas and saying this is how society could be different this is how we can make things better yeah definitely pushing it towards like a big idealistic ask rather than just tinkering I think and that's very much the same reason that I'm interested in basic income I think if you talk about the best case scenario that moves the current uh, debate on what you're doing right now so much more quickly than it and it would if you if you weren't talking about ideal and I don't know I like talking ideals <laughs> well and I like talking system change yes. as you say so much is just tinkering around the edges without fundamentally changing how our economy works and how money flows around in our economy yeah absolutely uh there's it's very clear that certain parts of the way that we're existing as a society right now aren't functioning. So we do need to completely overhaul them and, and replace them with something that works properly. So give us the introduction, introductory lesson. What, what's, what's the overview for people who aren't familiar with the concept of a basic income? I can't even speak. <laughs> of a basic income. Of course. Yeah, so a basic income is a specific policy that addresses our our basic needs with money. So it's it's often framed as a massive solution to lots of problems and it absolutely would contribute to a lot of that. But fundamentally it's a tool and it's a tool that has five specific aspects to it. Um, it's paid to the individuals, uh, it's paid as cash. So it's not vouchers or reimbursement for specific purchases. It's, it's money that people receive, uh, it's paid regularly so that might be weekly or monthly or at a push in certain forms annually. Uh, it's paid universally, so every single person gets it. And it's paid unconditionally. So there are no means tests around a basic income. You don't have to be a certain thing. You don't have to prove anything. Everyone receives their basic income as a right. So... Um, so there are there are many things that are kind of up for grabs on a basic income. So how much it is, is is a big question. And it's sometimes quite difficult to talk about basic income without saying like, it would be this much money. Um, but actually, that isn't inherent. We have to decide how much it would be. And uh, the other thing that is the big question is how do you pay for it? And again, that's not inherent as a basic income. Uh, you don't come with, and this is how you would cost it up. Uh, it's it's an idea really it's still it's still an idea so the the concept is there and the rest of it's kind of up for grabs 
And there's lots of ideas, I mean, there's lots of different ideas for how you could pay for such a thing. Because that's always the first thing that the Greens get asked is how are you going to pay for this? Which drives me crazy, especially on things like climate, uh, the climate emergency, because nobody ever asks the Tories how they're going to pay for the consequences of the climate emergency, you know, as it happens. Anyway, that's a slightly different rant that I could get into. Something that I've been thinking about a lot around the universal basic income and my frustration with a lot of schemes that you see out in the world of food stamps and vouchers and so on, is that there seems to be this idea that people don't need money, that money isn't something that people actually need. And I think there's a mix of things from this kind of, you know, the idea that rich people don't talk about money because money is dirty or money is we, is a, is a taboo. It's not something we like to talk about. It's not so, rich people don't even like to touch money, you know, oh, filthy money, all this sort of stuff, as well as being this sort of notion that if you give poor people money, they spend it badly, that somehow it's okay for me to spend my wages on more wine than's good for me, but not good for someone else to do that. So we have this kind of moral judgment where we expect poor people to spend every penny on porridge, you know, <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> it's ridiculous, whereas rich people, of course, can gamble their money away if they want to, whereas we're, all, you know, we're all human. And so there's an analogy that I've been thinking of, which I wonder if, if you I wonder about what you think of it, which is I think money is actually a bit like language. So people talk about money being a social construct as if that means that you don't need it or that you can get away without having it. And I think that you fundamentally can't get away without having money. You can't function in our society without money. And voucher schemes have, and things like that have so much problem with them in terms of limiting people's choice, limiting people's dignity, adding stigma on top of poverty. Whereas we never think of withholding language from children or withholding language from people. Language is also a social construct. And yet you need it to function. And therefore, we, we have public education systems to make sure that everybody has an adequate grasp of their language. And to me, UBI is, is acknowledging the fundamental import that money has to all of us. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I think, yeah, the analogy between school and maybe a basic income scheme is a really interesting one. And I think it also shows areas that we're really comfortable in moving forward in like education and areas that we haven't moved forward in in a really long time like there's still such enormous inequality between people who have very little access to income and people that have more money than they could ever spend in a reasonable way uh, and basic income does go a long way to addressing that I think the other really important point with money like or pretending that money isn't a need is when you look at the public health factors that are proven time and time and time again to be caused by poverty and poverty in in all its complexity there is a fundamental aspect of it which is a, a lack of access to income a lack of access to enough money to to live properly <laughs> to to fulfill your basic needs and um, and a properly fully implemented basic income would address that uh, as its fi like fundamental purpose, making sure that people had enough money to, to fulfill those basic needs, which we currently don't do. And people literally get sick because of it. They die earlier. Their education is compromised by, you know, we have all of this comprehensive research to show what poverty does to people and their health as human beings, as organisms, it affects them. Uh, and we still pretend that money isn't an absolute necessity, but we've built our society around it. 
Absolutely. So there are a few other sort of radical progressive ideas floating around in the mix at the moment. One is a jobs guarantee and another one is uh, universal basic services. How do you see a basic income alongside those progressive policies? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's really interesting or funny or strange uh, a symptom of our time that those things are pitted against each other as rivals because they all fulfill a very specific purpose as a policy proposal that works best if you get all three, you know? Uh, and I think it's, I've never met a basic income advocate or activist or someone that's really up for a basic income that doesn't also caveat that with, and obviously in addition, you need some these kind of services and you need to invest in proper jobs because yeah, like the idea of implementing a basic income to address automation and then leaving everyone who loses their job just with a basic income is hellish. You know, that's not something I would support at all. We need to make sure that if industries are completely transformed and, and swathes of jobs are lost, there is something meaningful for people to, to retrain to go do. But the idea of a basic income alongside a jobs guarantee allows us to shift our current attitude to work that working is our only purpose and it's something that we should just commit ourselves to and be grateful for having a job like I don't buy into that at all and talking about climate and we all have to compromise our morals for our work which is fundamentally <laughs> nonsense you know like I, I I find that personally very difficult and as a, a planet and as a society will be really hard pushed to address the climate crisis without changing that uh, but we can't reject work on ethical basis, basis, whatever that word is, uh, without an income to survive on. So those things need to come together. Uh, we need to address income inequality as well as problems with, with work. And then basic services, like, you know, the, one of the most terrifying concepts would be to get rid of the NHS or, um, you know, social care to pay for a basic income. That would not that would not be appropriate either. Like you need to have certain services in place for a, for a society to function. Those things are, they, they can't go away and they shouldn't be given to the free market to run because that doesn't make sense. You shouldn't be making profit off of things like healthcare. Um, so yeah, I don't know. The short answer is a basic income fulfills a specific role and that is to address people's basic needs on a financial basis and other policies need to address things like uh, yeah, you know, like housing as well. Housing's a really tricky one to to talk about alongside basic income because rent is so high and it's so different in different places. Um, if you include rent in the basic income as things currently stand, it actually doesn't work very well. So most most people talking about basic income say you should have a separate housing benefit on top of a basic income. And that's not you know ideal that's just or a separate housing service or in some service. other way i mean that's provided in some other through some other mechanism yeah yeah or yeah social housing so you need a housing policy essentially to address the problems with housing policy um and a basic income shouldn't really be used to try and solve that because that's not what it's built for one of the things that drives me crazy as well about um, when we talk about basic income the first one of the first things you get out of the right-wing press is well then everyone will stop working <laughs> and i'm saying no, no, basic, basic income, right? That means that you can have the basics of nutritious food, adequate housing. Do you know what I mean? Like it's the absolute basics. 
almost nobody would be happy to live on that. I certainly wouldn't be. I, well, you can see me sitting here in my rather comfortable <laughs> flat. This my flat is better than adequate. I like eating out, eating out sometimes, eating fancier food than just basic. I'm not interested in eating, you know, porridge three meals a day. I, I like something more than that. I like to go on holidays. I like to treat myself sometimes. Uh, the idea that people will not work on basic is disproved by the fact that we all work for promotions. We all work for pay rises. We all take training and improve ourselves. If that was true, then anyone making a minimum wage would never seek a promotion or a pay rise. And that simply isn't the case. It, it just drives me absolutely crazy when people look at that and go, oh yeah, we'll let you be basic and everyone will just be happy sitting on that. Well, I wouldn't and I don't know anyone who would. No. And I think uh, during the COVID-19 stuff, the absurdity of that argument has really been shown with people like Ian Duncan Smith saying, uh, we can't give, like, uh, we can't let people get reliant on the current measures because otherwise they won't go back to work. When literally what we need to do at the moment with the policies in reaction to this is stop people going to work because that is dangerous for them and that doesn't benefit society. So that shows that there's no logic to that argument. It's just purely ideological. Like, it's, I feel badly towards these people that don't have any money. So I'm going to make some weird judgment to them so I can have some control over their life when I'm designing these benefits that actually build in a lack of incentive to work. So currently benefits are means tested or most benefits are means tested. So when you try and engage in paid work, you lose your benefits, which stops you being able to work. That actively disincentivizes work uh, by punishing you for working so why would we build our social security around that if we're so worried about people engaging in paid work it's nonsense whereas a basic income you would uh, get your basic income and you'd get to go to work and make more money and keep that on top of it until you you get really successful and you make a load of money and that's great but then you have to pay a bit more tax i'm afraid <laughs> well i think that actually flags up one of the insanities of taxing <laughs> income of taxing work if you're talking about disincentives to work we pay, as working people, you and I, you know, we go to the office every day, we do work. We pay far more tax on our work than wealthy people sit, who sit around and do nothing, pay on their assets. So capital gains tax is a lot less than tax on, and I think we should stop calling it income tax, it's work tax. Like, <laughs> let's not dick about. Capital gains, when people take that as dividends, and uh, that is um, income, inheritances are income. So, like, let's not call mm. it inheritance tax, capital gains tax, and income tax, it's all income. Let's tax, well, my view is we should tax it all the same, or better yet, don't tax work. Like, let's call it a work tax. Let's not muck around with it. Taxing work doesn't make sense. It's a disincentive to work. We need to tax to tax the uh, asset holders, to tax the, the super wealthy. Never mind your income. Anyway, again, slightly off topic, right? <laughs> That's one of my favorites. Okay, here's another idea that I think is an interesting one. So with the uh, basic income and the jobs guarantee and universal basic services, if we have all these three things in the mix, something that I think is interesting is it unlinks two ideas in our society that I think, or maybe three, that are, that are currently joined together, which shouldn't be. And they, they look different depending on where you sit in our society. So as a worker, um, my income and my work, my meaningful contribution to society as society sees it, or, or, you know, supposedly, are currently linked to one another. But I don't, I don't think that's true for a lot of people. I think 
for a lot of people, the meaningful work that they do is not work that they get paid for, whether that's caring work as in raising their children or looking after one another or volunteer work. What they do that adds value to side isn't the work that they get paid for. And I think that uh, having all these progressive policies in place as a worker unlinks that. It means your contribution to society is separate from your income to society. And it allows us to actually value people who make those kind of contributions, particularly around caring work, because there is some then income which is sort of associated with caring work in the sense that everybody gets it. Um, from the other side of that equation, um, a job from the point of view of a, um, em, you know, an employer, a boss, is both uh, a way to, for them to create more profit and a way to redistribute some of that profit because they have to pay you by law. They have to pay you some amount of that back. Now, they will always seek to pay you as little as they can get away with. So there's an element of redistribution of wealth inherent in a job because they have to pay me to show up. Um, but they will pay me as little as possible. And they would replace me with a machine if they could, uh, if they could get away with it. So if, as and you mentioned automation, so I'm an automation engineer. I've spent my whole career putting people out of work by building. I have. That's, that's true. Before I got into renewables, that's what I was doing, designing automated machinery. Um, so you ha if, you're, if people aren't doing the work, if machines are doing the work, you have to find another way to redistribute that wealth. A job isn't the best way to redistribute wealth. It's just the only mechanism that we currently have, um, you know, that's sort of socially acceptable because living on quote unquote benefits is not socially acceptable unless you're retired, um, in which case that is acceptable because you've done your due, you've worked your days. And it's this sort of equivalent, it's this sort of idea that there's no moral way to redistribute wealth, wealth without work involved. And that's a very landowner, rich person, aristocracy way of looking at virtue, that virtue is somebody else working. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of interesting stuff in there. I think the first point about um, meaningful contribution being tied to income is, is really crucial. Um, I think particularly on care though, I think yeah, I mean, I would always say that unpaid care should be reimbursed on top of a basic income because you need to acknowledge things that that well. And and again, this is this is bringing it back a little bit to reality, which is maybe not where we want to we want to be. We want to be talking about um, the ideal case scenario, but right now and with the cultural shift that would need to come, and with all of the the whole suite of shifts that would need to come with a basic income, people do unpaid care because they want to or they have to to look after the person that they need to care for um, and that stops them being able to engage in paid work so currently if we are if we are sticking with the the paid work me uh, mechanism for for survival i guess we need to make sure that unpaid carers are given additional on top of a basic income um but absolutely like the idea of unlinking income from meaningful contribution i think is is really important and i think particularly for things like innovation and entrepreneurship and like we need to be able to take secure risks which currently most people can't like for 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 us to move quicker collectively every single person needs to be able to like take take risks and you know for on a personal level that might be education or it might be taking a year off to paint or write a terrible novel but those things need to be safe for us to get somewhere good like we all know when we're in the process of learning something or deciding what meaningful contribution we want to make to society there's a lot of missteps there but and that's fine if though if it's if you have a safety net underneath that but at the moment missteps leave people 
uh, destitute. They, it leaves people at existential risk, like, and that's not acceptable. Um, and that and that stops people from being bold. It, it makes people compromise on a whole variety of levels, and it in a way that they wouldn't have to. Yeah, they wouldn't have to make those compromises if it wasn't so linked. If there was this basic safety net that you would always have that and you would never fall below that with a basic income um and uh, yeah completely like, i think automation is a good thing like fundamentally progress like te- you know technological progress is a good thing uh and that is maybe you know for some people that's a controversial statement i i don't think it for, for me that's the way that i see things but and it's also who's benefiting from the technology i think yeah yeah and it's also inevitable you know we've seen it a lot over hundreds of years that that change happens no matter how much you want to stop it uh so if we want change to happen and people to be looked after during that we need to put bold things in place to to let those those both happen and uh, yeah I, I like the idea of a job as redistribution of wealth i've never thought of it like that but yeah you're absolutely right that's what it is uh and we could do something different. We could build a different system. We don't have to have jobs. Uh, you don't have to show up to work. You can, and, and like showing up to work is so different from having a job. Like doing stuff that needs to be done is something that we do all day, every day. And uh, we're actually limited from doing the most important stuff sometimes because of our jobs and the work that we have to show up to do for, for someone else. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, what trials and studies are currently going on around basic incomes? I couldn't rattle off the ones that are currently in progress. Uh, the Finnish basic income experiment, the final results of that came out yesterday. So that was one of a massive, uh, got a lot of coverage globally as a, as a failure a year ago after they published the first year of uh, results of a two-year trial. So strange misinterpretation there. But there's, there's, there's a lot of, there have been lots of basic income trials and there will continue to be, I think, um, the there are also measures in in certain places as a reaction to COVID nineteen crisis that are very similar to a basic income. Um, there's a, a measure in Spain that's a little bit not, but but everyone's talking about it as a basic income again. But but there is a significant body of evidence from from fifty or so years worth of of trials, and the evidence is it's difficult to compare it's difficult there is a lot of evidence there and uh there it's but it's quite specific to the type of society or the type of community the type of place that you're implementing them in and um a basic income experiment is always limited in its ability to tell you what a basic income would do because it's uh short term it's not permanent it doesn't go to everyone there's loads of conditions so exp- i think experimenting with basic income is is an interesting phenomenon in, in itself. Because um, it can't be transformative of society if you're only doing it with a thousand people for two years. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Mm. And you can't tell what it would be like for a whole society if you're only trying it for a short amount of time or if it, if it's only this group getting it and, and everyone else not because you don't see the interactions. Um, yes, but the I mean... The, the comparisons between the studies have shown uh, that very little 
uh, impact on work. So this this idea that people would stop working uh, if they got a basic income doesn't seem to be true. There are some circumstances, some places that it has been true, but not not very significantly. It's not like everyone quits their job the next day as soon the, as it starts. Where I saw it was true was where people had small children to care for or were in education, which yes. is exactly the kind of people that shouldn't be working. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's there's that as well. Um, so were you before we started the call, we were talking about um, the Scottish trial or there, this is going to be tried in Scotland soon? Well, potentially. So uh, in 2018, the Scottish government allocated £250,000 to a basic income experiment feasibility study. This was led by four local authorities, Glasgow, Edinburgh, North Ayrshire and Fife, because there was interest in those local authorities um, from constituents like wanting to, to see this idea ex- uh, explored. Um, so for the last two years, a group of fantastic researchers have been looking at all of the facets of what a basic income experiment means and how it would work in the Scottish context. Um, what kind of experiment they'd want to run if we were to do one and how that contributes to the global body of evidence, how we make sure that it's it's new and relevant and useful to do if we're going to invest the time and the, the money in doing it. Uh, the last interim report from this study was published in November last year and there was a very comprehensive basic income experiment proposed in that report. So about 17,000 people would participate in that um, there were two levels proposed, one that is a, a low level that matches um, subsistence benefits at the moment. So the, the question there is, what is the effect of removing all conditions from, from those benefits on people? And the other level is a high level that matches the um, minimum income standard proposed by Joseph Roundtree Foundation every year or roughly so that would be what is it like to give people a livable income unconditionally? What impacts are there? which is incredibly exciting if that does go ahead. Um, obviously, there's, well, there, there will have been changes to that model over the last, the final stage of the feasibility study. So potentially it would be a different one proposed. But um, but if it was that one, that would be the most comprehensive basic income experiment. Um, the first one in, in the UK context. So because they're so context specific, that that's really important. Um, so that's that's really exciting. It's still going to be a few months until we see the final report, but there will be some juicy insights from that for sure. Um, and the most significant really are the political ones. So the, the, the barriers to running a basic income experiment in Scotland will be clear from, from that report. So we will know exactly what it is that we need to press Westminster for if we want to do an experiment and if we want to implement a basic income, which of course we do. So and what does a roadmap to a basic income look like? So we've talked about quite high level concepts here. What what stages are there between where we are now and this becoming a reality? Definitely. I mean, there's big there's big cultural shifts that would be required. So people need to get comfortable with all the concepts that we have discussed today. But for me, I think the first step ought to be removing conditionality from our current benefit system. Like I just don't see any benefit in conditions on money that people clearly need like if we've designated it to them they need it so so why do we need to create punitive conditions and stressful administration uh and we would see we would have loads of evidence for a basic income there in the specific context if we remove that aspect of our current system um 
And then it's thinking about, okay, now putting a universal benefit that goes to everyone in place uh, at whatever level we can afford, in that, that horrible word, um, and thinking about then how we want to pay for it. So what um, what what is it that we want to redistribute? What can we do that's innovative and, and inventive there? Um, and in that process, we really need to think about what it is that we want to achieve with a basic income because fundamentally it's a policy, you know, it's a tool, you need to design it uh, clear-eyed, knowing what it is that you want it to achieve and then assess it based on that. So that's where the basic income model should come from, from everyone contributing to that conversation about what it is that we want to to achieve collectively with our brand new shiny system. <laughs> that's fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Cleo, for coming on the podcast today. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. And then I thought,